Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Muse, that's M-E-W-S, a combination of the words Muse, M-U-S-E, and News. I am your host, Marfine Chan, and this is a weekly podcast covering news from the national, state, and local level here in Portland, Maine. I'll also answer questions from social media, from friends, and from folks uh, that follow me uh, at Marfine Chan on Twitter and Facebook and at Marfine on Instagram. Uh, I'll also cover a topic near and dear to my heart uh, and and will occasionally interview a a special guest, um, either to talk about those topics or to talk uh, about their lives and the work they do. But in this episode, uh, the topic that we'll cover is, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving and the holidays around the corner, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how holidays aren't created equal aren't the same for every, everyone, especially for LGBTQ people and people of color. Um, I'll also answer questions from social media, predominantly from Instagram this time around, from my friends Amy, from Matt, and Samantha. But before that, we've got to do the muse. God's used uh, imperfect people all through history. King David wasn't perfect. Uh, Saul wasn't perfect. I said, Mr. President, I know there are people that say, you know, you you said you were the chosen one. Uh, And and I, I said, you were. In the national news, there's been a lot of talk about, quote unquote, the chosen one. Now, you can't see it right now, but I have my fingers in the quotation mark positions um, and uh, uh, so I'm just letting you know that. I don't know why. But outgoing Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who is also the former governor of Texas, had gone on Fox and Friends, one of President Trump's favorite shows, second to Sean Hannity, and referred to Trump as, quote-unquote, the chosen one. But he didn't stop there either. He went on and said that President Trump was, quote-unquote, ordained by God. Now, this is, this is, this is absurd. And, and, you know, just no question. But at the same time, I grew up in the evangelical world. Uh, and so I, I'd like to think that I understand a little bit about why, the reason why they, uh, people like Rick Perry, social conservative evangelicals like Rick Perry, um, believe this sort of thing. Uh, and a few verses pop out to me. Um, and, and, and like the one when Jesus said in Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what is God's unto God. Now, this was the time when uh, the, Re- the Roman Empire uh, w- was the superpower of the time, spanning from Spain all the way to uh, Judea, uh, where a lot of the biblical um, events occurred, especially in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and so uh, basically what was happening was the Pharisees or Sadducees, I forget who, they were trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Um, and so they, they said, you know, should we pay taxes to, um, to, to Caesar or to the Roman Empire? And, and I think they were trying to uh, uh, walk a fine line and, and, and pigeonhole um, Jesus by... by um, you know, appealing to the establishment, I guess you can call them, who obviously say that you should pay uh, uh, taxes to Caesar. Um, and and so, um, of course, the Romans were probably paying attention um, to this, uh, this young uh, guy who was uh, attracting lots of 
big crowds and rallies uh, in today's speak. But on the other side, I think there were um, Jewish people um, who who were resistant to Roman rule and resisted the idea of paying taxes to Caesar. So they were trying to trap Jesus uh, in this pigeonhole. But what, uh, according to the Gospels, what he ingeniously did was he, he asked for a coin and he lifted the coin up. Uh, and this is the movie that's playing inside of my head, so it might not actually be what actually happened uh, 2,000 years ago. But uh, he lifted that coin and he, he, he looked at it and, and had people look at it. And he asked, you know, whose face is on this coin? And, of course, the denarii or whatever it's called, the, the Roman currency at the time, all had Caesar's face on it. And mind you, this is probably Augustus Caesar, um, not Julius Caesar, but, you know, all the emperors were called Caesars after Augustus. And, uh, and so uh, Caesar's face was on that, and that's the reason why, you know, he ingeniously uh, said this, this, uh, this iconic phrase, render unto Caesar's, what is Caesar's and what is God's unto God's? Um, and, and that's an interesting, you know, theological discussion. Um, but uh, I'll save that for another day. The other verse that, that I pick out that um, I've heard used um, to support Rick Perry's assertions and to support some other things that we'll talk about later um, is in the book of Romans. It was written by the Apostle Paul or St. Paul, depending on, you know, whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Um, I grew up in a Protestant evangelical church. Um, but the, the book of Romans, it reads, uh, Obey the rulers who have authority over you. Only God can give authority to anyone, and he puts these rulers in their places of power. People who oppose the authorities are opposing what God has done, and they will be punished. Rulers are a threat to evil people, not to good people. There is no need to be afraid of the authorities. Just do right, and they will praise you for it. After all, they are God's servants, and it is their duty to help you. Now, I'm no longer a church go goer, uh, probably to do with some from or of me coming out as gay and leaving the church. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I do remember a lot of this stuff, and and I think at this time in in history, uh, by the time that Apostle Paul. Uh, came came onto the scene. Um, Christianity was starting to branch out of Judea and branch off into um, Turkey, into Greece. Um, and, and the reason why the book is called Romans is because the Apostle Paul was writing to some of his contacts into the, the, the Church of Rome. And um, I guess the question was, you know, they're on the doorstep of the seat of power of the Roman Empire, the strongest um, superpower in that day, and one of the greatest civilizations and, and, and empires that the humanity has ever known. Um, and, and, and they were wondering, you know, these, these rulers, you know, they're persecuting us. Um, you know, later on when Nero comes along um, and Caligula, you know, they're one of the iconically bad Roman emperors. Um, they came on later, but, uh, but, you know, Christianity was a new religion and, and, um, it did threaten the current order of, of things. And so there was some persecution. Um, but 
basically Paul's um, gist of his 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 letter, I guess, um, according to um, some biblical scholars, was that you know Paul was just basically saying like model good behavior, be good, and they won't judge you for anything. Um, they're they're the government; they were put in place by God, um, and so uh, you know, listen to them and behave, and you don't have anything to be afraid of. But, you know, I think these verses on the surface um, look good, you know. And and, base, and a lot of evangelicals, you know, they pull out of that, well, we have to be a witness to the world, basically uh, an example to the world. Um, and that showing good behavior um, to the point where people uh, are impressed and want to convert. Uh, it's a lot more complicated that, than that, but uh, in a nutshell, that that's what it is. So, um, the problem is that, you know, when, when you dig through history and, and when these New Testament verses, um, you, you have to understand that they were written in Greek, um, probably some Aramaic in there somewhere. Um, but, but, uh, uh, throughout time, they've been translated from Greek to Latin, um, using human scribes predominantly. And this was before the advent of the printing press and the mass production of uh, Bibles. Um, then came along the Reformation uh, during the Dark Ages in the 1000s. Uh, and then um, there, there was a, the, the uh, time period after that where you know the Bible was translated into multiple languages. Um, the translation from Latin to English is what's most important to American history um, because uh, that's when England became Protestant. And I think the story was that King Henry VIII, um, one of the worst kings of England, um, essentially wanted a divorce and, so that he could marry his mistress. And the only way he could do that was uh, if uh, he pulled a fast one on the Pope and the Catholic Church. Um, so there's some history in sort of how Protestant, sorry, I can't say it. So there's some of the backstory around uh, the Protestant English church. Uh, and, and so from, uh, um, you know, it went on in the 1700s, 1800s uh, to be translated from old English to modern English. So anyway, uh, basically what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's been a long 2,000-year-old game of telephone. And, and the basic idea behind the game of telephone is that the funny part is that people manipulate, people lose the meaning of, of a phrase or words, and they replace words um, to further their own sort of agenda, whether it's political, religious. Um, well, this isn't at the kids' telephone game level, um, but, but you know what I mean. You know, things get lost along the way, things get manipulated, and, and the wrong message gets uh, gets delivered by the time it reaches the original um, speaker, I suppose you can say. Um, so when you look at these verses in the various historical contexts and the way um, they were used, they were often used to suppress the masses. Um, you know, a lot of the criticism around um, the Catholic Church in, in the Middle Ages and in the Dark Ages was that, you know, the Bible and Scripture was in Latin, which... For a lot of the European population, they didn't know how to write or speak. Education um, w wasn't a standardized thing. And so the, the people with power were, were also people that were educated, knew Latin, knew how to read scripture, and therefore uh, could use it to suppress the masses 
and to interpret it however they wanted to. So uh, uh, other ways that it's been used is to suppress freedom of thought um, and to secure the power of monarchs and despots. Um, and, and a little closer to our modern history, American history, um, you know, no, uh, 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 even slave masters uh, in America use these phrases to justify enslaving blacks, to justify the institution of slavery. Uh, and, and so that's just my little gist uh, of, of how scripture is used to, uh, to fit one's narrative, shall I say. So um, it's no secret, you know, that evangelicals fawn over President Trump. Um, he ran on the promise of overturning Roe v. Wade. He, he ran on, um, you know, uh, um, with a lot of evangelical support after committing to their ideas of, you know, a, a Christian nation and a moral nation and, and legislating morality. Um, and so uh, when, when he won, obviously he started stacking the Supreme Court with pro-life judges like uh, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. And now we see exactly what the, uh, the evangelicals wanted. Um, you know, Roe v. Wade is under threat. The seminal case establishing reproductive rights, it's being challenged all over the country in um, federal courts um, and circuit courts. And, and that, what's that gonna, what that's going to do is it's going to set up sort of a, a split in, in sort of the uh, in, in interpretation of Roe v. Wade and, and whatnot. And so uh, I think this is one of the many reasons why people criticize evangelicals, because there seems to be this double standard. On the one hand, they're talking about morality and they're talking about this... this um, in my view, archaic way of living, um, and, and at the same, and trying to legislate morality, um, but at the same time supporting a president who um, doesn't necessarily fit their idea of a moral human being, um, and and you know, there's a lot of Christians that have joined liberals in condemning the president's treatment of migrant children, separating them from their families, uh, um, you know. Non-evangelical Christians have criticized the president for his divorces, his unpaid bills, unpaid tax bills, his shady dealings. Um, and so, you know, he's not a perfect dude, uh, to put it in lay terms. But uh, Rick Perry, you know, using the idea, the Christian version or idea of the chosen one and, and, and the phrase that he's ordained by God. Um, it, it, they use that that idea, that reading of scripture in the Old Testament that God has used imperfect people in the past. You know, like um, I think it was the king of Babylon who, even though he was a heathen, um, he 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 was used to 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 help save the Jewish people. Like they Christians use that to 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 basically say, you know, hey, President Trump isn't perfect, but God has a history of using imperfect people to rule over us and that God has everything under control and he's a, you know, a, a master micromanager, <laughs> essentially. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Uh, anyway, this, this leads me to the next news topic. And, uh, from the past week, and, and that's the impeachment hearings. 
you know, as you know, uh, President Trump admitted to asking um, Ukraine's President Zelensky to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, who was on the board of a Ukrainian oil company called Burisma. It's amazing how everything bad has to do with oil. Anyway, um, but this has gained a lot of attention because Joe Biden is, of course, running for the Democratic nomination for president and will be uh, is a potential rival of Trump's President Trump in the 2020 election. Now, uh, President Trump, through a back channel, he set up with his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, basically was asking Zelensky to uh, investigate uh, the Bidens um, to announce an investigation Um, which, of course, would be damaging to um, um, Biden's bid for president. Uh, And this sort of mirrors, you know, when when President Trump um, held that rally or press conference, I forgot which, during the 2016 election, and basically said, like, you know, hey, Russians, if you have dirt on Hillary Clinton, then 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 give it to us um, on on national television. I'll I'll actually play that again, because that was pretty. uh, That was pretty egregious. So uh, throwback to 2016. Sad time. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. But basically, in, in, in this uh, Ukraine situation and these impeachment hearings, um, basically the allegation um, was that Trump was and Giuliani were trying to apply pressure to Ukraine to do these invest- investigations by withholding $500 million of military aid. Um, in other words, they wanted a quid pro quo. Um, this was further corroborated by dedicated public servants who put country over Trump's personal and petty politics, um, public servants like Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman, uh, um, who had that moment where... I think it was Devin Nunez, or it might have been another congressperson on the Intelligence Committee who called him Mr. Vinman, but uh, he he won the day when he said, excuse me, excuse me, uh, congressman, um, um, but that's Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. Um, and, and some people took it the wrong way, but I think it was just, you know, a slight correction. Um, and so, uh, other he anyway, he was a... Anyway, he was a... Um, Expert in Ukrainian affairs, um, serving on the National Security Council. There was also a former ambassador, Marie Yovanovitch, um, who was uh, attacked by the Trump smear machine, um, basically for doing her job and putting U.S. national security interests and U.S. relations with Ukraine first. Uh, and Dr. Fiona Hill, who is a, an expert on Russia and who had served in the White House. Uh, basically, she was my favorite because, you know, her reactions to all of this the, 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 the dumb um, GOP lines of questioning was gold, was iconic, was epic, was awesome. Yeah, anyway. So <laughs> I am not at my best coming up with those phrases. But uh, word on the street is that the hearings um, may continue because a Giuliani associate, associate uh, apparently has documented evidence of these um, discussions and these, these, uh, this, this pressure campaign. Um, which, interestingly enough, comes ahead of the anticipated Senate hearings um, and trials that are expected sometime, maybe even right before Christmas or, or after. Um, and, and so, 
you know, there, there's a lot going on still, so uh, uh, I'll try to keep you updated. Um, but I'm guessing you're wondering, why on earth should we care about Ukraine? Uh, well, it's simple. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if your friend's being threatened by a bully, wouldn't you stand up for your, for that friend? Uh, the same concept is here. You know, Ukraine used to be a, a former uh, Soviet satellite state, and since the fall of the Berlin Wall and and the um, the, the tearing back of the Iron Curtain, um, Ukraine has uh, served as a buffer between Russia and the rest of Europe. Um, but you know. Uh, the last decade under Putin's leadership, Russia has become more and more emboldened and aggressive towards its former satellite states. Uh, you may remember when Russia tried to invade Georgia um, to the south um, between the Black Sea and the um, Caspian Sea. Is that what it's called? Anyway, in the Caucasus. Um, so um, uh, starting in 2014, Russia again, you know, was aggressive and annexed and invaded the Crimea, um, which had belonged to Ukraine um, at that point in time. Um, and then when Ukrainians ousted a pro-Russian president, um, pro-Russian and Russian forces staged an uprising in, in the region that is southeast um, uh, Ukraine, uh, along the Russian and Ukrainian border. Um, so U.S. national security re relies on the U.S. supporting its allies and supporting Ukraine. Uh, and, and already with Crimea and certain parts of Ukraine, we've been engaged in uh, appeasement, you know, just like we have in, in Syria, where we're pulling out and we're now letting Turkey and Russia take control uh, uh, and, and support the Syrian, Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad. Uh, the United States, uh, uh, under Trump leadership, under the Trump administration, has taken a back seat on the world stage as the Russians and China become more and more aggressive. And... You know, this withdrawal from, from you know, basic uh, uh, international friendship and, and, and allies and supporting our allies, you know, I think there, there, is, there is definitely debate on whether we should actually be engaged in a war. But sometimes, you know, you prevent wars by um, helping your friends and, 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 and standing together, you know, um, what this does, it, it doesn't make us exceptional and great. It doesn't make us trustworthy. Um, it, it, again, if we think it, this makes the world more peaceful, it doesn't. You know, peace on the world stage in an ideal world means that bullies, including the U.S., you know, because we have had those incidences where we've gotten involved in regime change over the years, um, you know, that bullies aren't allowed to run around the schoolyard freely. You know, it means standing up for for what is right and good in the world and standing up for each other and the free world and, and, and holding up international institutions that we've helped set up post-World War II. Um, and, and so that's my spiel on sort of the, the whole Trump um, chosen one affair and the Ukrainian um, uh, ordeal. Um, but now uh, we'll turn to some uh, juicy presidential stuff. Did somebody say billionaire? No, Mayor Bloomberg, how did you get in here? Well, I tipped the doorman $30 million. Does this mean you're officially running for president? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 
I'd be hard to beat. The Democratic presidential primary has just gotten a little more crowded. We've got a late bloomer, folks, in the race for the Democratic nominee for president, Michael Bloomberg, a former New York mayor and a billionaire to the tune of over $50 billion, which, by the way, you know, probably the only good news is that he has way more money than Donald Trump, but... Anyway, that's another topic. Um, But basically, Michael Bloomberg has jumped in and has been monopolizing, pun intended, uh, the 2020 news cycle for the past few days. Personally, I think Wall Street is scared. You know, they look at the Democratic primary and they see folks like Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, I love. uh, And and frankly, you know, they look at anyone that supports uh, Medicare for all, and, 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 you know, parental leave and, and progressive values with disdain. And I have no doubt they uh, all encouraged all the billionaires that they have all encouraged Bloomberg to hop in because he's one of them. Um, and Tom Stair, you know, I don't know what he's up to. Um, but now, you know, uh, again, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Warren. You know, I really do believe she is a policy heavyweight and wonk. Um, she skyrocketed up to second place and uh, in, in a recent poll conducted by YouGov and Out Magazine, um, she actually has the most LGBTQ support. Um, she has over 30% support from among LGBTQ voters like myself, um, followed by Bernie Sanders at 18%, Joe Biden at 16%, and Pete Buttigieg at 14%. So yeah, she's scaring the heck out of the billionaires and I'm loving it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm honestly just tired of privileged white men who feel entitled to run for president and who feel like, as Beto so accidentally, eloquently put it, that, they, they, he, that he felt um, he was born for it or born to run. You know, that really turned me off. Um, I think he, he should have just run for Senate in Texas again. But anyway, um, um, Pete... Uh, Oh, yeah, Pete Buttigieg, I get questions about this all the time. Sure, he's a gay candidate, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I should support him. Um, it's, not, it's not as simple as that. I, I am an openly gay man, I'm brown, but I'm also brown. You know, I live at the intersection of race and LGBTQ rights. So it, it's, it's a lot more complicated than just me or him being gay. Mayor Pete does not have a good record serving black and brown people, and he has a lot of explaining to do as mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Um, and you know, a, a, a black South Bend blend Bend leader. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of B's and L's. Um, but, uh, a, a, a black South Bend leader, you know, did just endorse Joe Biden, who also isn't my favorite candidate, but you know, it, it, it just speaks volumes. Joe Biden does have a lot of support among black voters. Um, so, um, to me, it, it just seemed like, you know, um, He's been a little light on policy, and, and he's been, I think, in one of the debates, um, the the one before this past one, he, he really went on attack against Elizabeth Warren, um, uh, probably because she was skyrocketing the polls at that time. Um, and, and, it, and the attacks just left a bad taste in my mouth. It just didn't look good, you know. Um, and to me, it seemed like he talked more about how Elizabeth Warren's plans couldn't work and, and very little about why his plan is is better, you know, other than the, the general sort of like Medicare for all who wanted, whatever that means, um, you know, so, um, you know, that that's my thoughts on the presidential race and, and you know, 
Bloomberg should get the bloom bloom out of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was a failed pun. But that's it for the muse. Uh, now we'll take a brief break before I answer some questions from you all on social media. this segment where I answer some questions from friends, folks, and people on social media. Uh, if you want to answer a question, keep an eye out for when, when I um, open up for questions um, on my social media platforms. On Instagram, it's at Marphine, M-A-R-P-H-E-E-N. On Facebook and Twitter, it's at Marphine Chan, M-A-R-P-H-E-E-N-C-H-A-N-N. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, on the podcast page, you can obviously... On my website, marfinechan.com, um, backslash muse, M-E-W-S. Um, you can also submit questions there. The first question I have is from my friend Amy, who asks me about uh, the USM name change um, news story. Uh, basically, her question was, what do you think about the USM name change to University of Maine, Portland? And, you know, this is a, <laughs> as I've been watching um you know, the press herald, the Twitter sites and, and Facebook and at the comments, it, it's actually become a very contentious issue. Um, but uh, uh, basically, people think that's erasing, you know, the Gorham campus and, and, and the Lewis and Auburn campus. Um, and I think these are good points to raise. And I think that the University of Southern Maine currently, the administration ought to pay attention to these complaints and, and really set in stone some some policies regarding um to make sure that you know Gorham and Lewis and Auburn aren't forgotten um but overall I do support the name change you know the the University of Maine at Portland uh in in my view in my opinion you know the University of Southern Maine has been sort of the stepchild of the University of Maine um system you know I I will say that I was in 2014 the student vice president um, I advocated for more funding for the University of Southern Maine because we don't uh, get as much funding as as the University of Maine or no. And, you know, there's a lot packed in there. You know, I think it, 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 it also reflects the whole idea that there are two Maines, like there's Southern Maine, which is rich and wealthy um, in, in, in some people's terms, and Northern Maine, which is, is struggling, you know, and, and, and Northern Maine is struggling. But at the same time, you know, I think uh, this warped approach to egalitarianism is, is, isn't helping, you know, uh, cities like Portland, you know, yes, we may generate a lot of tax revenue or sales tax revenue, but, you know, at the same time, property taxes have gone up tremendously and it's pushing people out of the city. It's making, um, both homes and, and apartments more expensive. Um, and it's one of the reasons, what reasons why the city is becoming more unaffordable. Um, so, so I think, uh, it, this this issue fits within that frame where the University of Southern Maine has been the stepchild of the University of Maine system. And so um, uh, changing the name to University of Maine at Portland, while not necessarily, um, um, you know, fixing that issue, what it does is that it, it helps us to market to out-of-state students who... Um, in, in real terms, in, 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 in the data, in the numbers, subsidize 
um, the tuition of in-state students. There's a reason why uh, in-state students um, get uh, to have cheaper tuition. It's because out-of-state students who attend the University of Southern Maine pay way more than in-state students. And though those extra dollars, um, you know, go go back into the system and, and gets uh, and lessens the demand on in-state students to pay more. Um, and so that's I think that's the reason, you know, why the University of Maine system has been able to sort of keep um, a cap on tuition increases. Um, so people need to realize that, uh, and that that's why you know that the University of Maine system has been trying to attract out-of-state students. And that's why the University of Southern Maine, as, it, as it's currently named, is trying to attract out-of-state students. Maine as a state is demographically challenged. You know, we have diminishing uh, numbers of high school graduates who are uh, choosing to go to Maine universities and who are choosing to stay in Maine. And so we're losing, we're bleeding cash. Um, we, you know, we don't have the number of college uh, enrollment to to fill capacity at, at our colleges and to support the programs and the co- the administrative costs, um, which, by, uh, by the way, is a different conversation. I think too much money goes to administrative costs, but I'll cover that in a, another episode when I maybe with a special guest. But uh, so that's my thoughts on, on that. You know, um, I don't think Gorham will be erased. You know, I don't think Lewiston Auburn will be erased. I think, though, that the voices that are, are saying that, you know, Gorham and Lewis and Auburn need to be preserved and, and protected. I think they weren't, um, they weren't a response from the University of Maine system uh, and the University of Southern Maine who must set in place policies and 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 and, and whatnot to to preserve programs um, at both uh, satellite campuses. You know, Gorham has most of the dorms. Um, Portland campus doesn't have any dorms currently, but there are 500 units of student housing that's planned. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, that, that the University of Maine at Portland, the University of Southern Maine should build more student housing on the Portland campus because 2,500 units of housing in Portland are dedicated, uh, or or rented out to students. Um, and and that's out of the 17,500 units for housing overall, um, in, in, in Portland. And so, um, um, this is a step towards fixing a lot of those problems. Um, and it'll attract more funding. Um, but, uh, but the, the concerns about Gorham, you know, where the housing and the theater programs are housed, um, you know, they do need, uh, attention. They do need resources. So I don't want them to lose that. And Lewis and Auburn college, this might be an unpopular opinion, but, uh, you know, they, they were always referred to as Central Maine, um, and sort of academics and life there is, is you know, far removed from the Southern Maine area. Um, I honestly think that they should be merged with the University of Maine at Augusta instead. You know, they're closer to Augusta. Um, the, the sort of regional needs are, are some sort of the same. Uh, and University of Maine Augusta has been doing well, in my opinion, um, and so that's my thoughts on um, the University of Southern Maine name change to the University of Maine at Portland. Although not exhaustive, I'd rather talk 
slightly more with that, but I'm looking at the clock and uh, I've already spent too much time on this. Um, so the second question is from my friend Matt, who submitted it via um, Instagram. Uh, he asked two two questions, really, um, but I'll, I'll keep it short. So the first uh, question was, uh, what's more important, um, what you say or how you say it? And um, it's a good question, but uh, and, and I had to think a little bit about it um, and sleep on it. But uh, uh, I think what's more important, what you say or how you say it? I think it's how you say it. Because, um, you know, <laughs> let, let's take the, the big phrase in, in society, uh, the, the phrase, I love you. Like, you know, there are, there are times when, when, when someone says, I love you, but you can tell, you know, they, it's just something they're throwing out, just something they're, you know, casually using, using. It's not anything with any depth. It's not, you know, uh, uh, uh. It's not meant, and, and and I think we can pick up on that as human beings, um, and and especially children. You know, they know when a parent or or a mentor doesn't actually mean the phrase "I love you." Um, so so how you say it matters. How you say "I love you" matters. Um, and 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 that goes with any sort of other thing. You know, um, uh, <laughs> humans have a way of misunderstanding motives and, and words and, and phrases all the time. So I think, um, uh, obviously, you know, watching what you say does matter, but also how you say things, it really does matter. Uh, and then the, the second, the second question that I'll give to, to Matt, um, um, even though I was supposed to stick to three, uh, uh was, uh, uh, what's my favorite Taylor Swift song? Um, and uh, in her new album, um, I, I tend to like um, the song Lover. Um, and then I really don't have a favorite because I like both Lover and The Archer. Uh, otherwise, in her 1989 album, I think I'm a fan of um, Bad Blood. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to overcomplicate this question. I'm already over time. Um, so anyway, the third question um, is from Samantha, who asked, um, what have you been up to since working on the mayoral race um and honestly i've been up to um a lot of side things that i put off a lot of hobbies that i had that i just didn't have time to to do like uh i'm I'm writing a book right now that i'm trying to finish it's my autobiography detailing my journey as a um kid born to cambodian refugees who went into foster care and was adopted and sort of how i dealt with that um i've been working on um, some more songwriting, um, and of course I'm starting this podcast, um, but I'm also back at, at, uh, my other job working as a human rights educator at the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine. Um, so that's what I've been up to. Thanks for the questions.
it's for a topic that is near and dear to my heart uh, with Thanksgiving just around the corner and the holidays and Hanukkah and Christmas um, in the next month. Um, I, I think it's it's it needs saying that the holidays aren't created equal for everyone. You know, they don't all mean the exact same thing for everyone. You know, people like to think, you know, it's it's all joy and happiness and and whatnot, uh, which, by the way, you know, uh, capitalism kind of ruined, you know, consumerism, shall I say, uh, because now everyone's just stressed the hell out and 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 focused on shopping and getting the best gift for someone and stressing more about the gift than about, you know, the feelings between um, two people and 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 thanksgiving and being grateful and thankful but anyway um so it's it's not the same for any everyone um and and especially for i think especially for indigenous people for native americans um who especially during thanksgiving are reminded um every year uh as well as columbus day which now gratefully in maine is also indigenous people's day uh, uh, Native Americans and, and Indigenous people, they are reminded uh, uh, during these celebrations of, of white domination, of colonialism, uh, uh, of the English and, and the French and the Spanish um, um, coming to the New World and, and claiming and, and planting their flags as if, you know, the, the land wasn't inhabited by anyone else. Um, and, and so Thanksgiving especially, you know, we, we have that myth uh, uh, about um, the pil- pilgrims landing and, and being um, being friendly to uh, the tribes that they encountered and, and having that first Thanksgiving, but you know I think uh, I think that's a myth uh, that the, the 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 that is baked into the founding of this country, um, just like the, the the myths that you know America was purely. Um, uh, a place where people came for hope and freedom and liberty, but it was really only hope and freedom and liberty for, you know, uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, conquerors and, and French conquerors and Spanish conquerors. So, so these holidays do do and can have a traumatic effect on Indigenous people. Um, it can also be traumatic uh, for LGBTQ people. Uh, and people of color because it, you know, they are predominantly white holidays and, 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 uh, and LGBTQ people, um, who might not have the best relationship with their families, their parents, their uncles and aunts and grandparents, um, they, they, they want to go home and celebrate, um, but sometimes it's, it's a mix of celebrating, you know, having some turkey and, 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 and f- stuffing yourself, uh, but at the same time, you know, some families are, aren't still, you know, uh, accepting of, of LGBTQ people, um, and, and even though some of that might be sort of underneath the surface and not talked about, you know, I think uh, it, if you know your family, that you, you know that they, they hold these beliefs, and so therefore you're sitting at the same table, um, trying to enjoy the holidays like everyone else, but um, you know these feelings are sort of circulating um, and, and, and underneath the surface. And um, sometimes some families, you know, like my family is very, very Christian. And so whenever I go, I see 
know, Bibles everywhere. I see, you know, books. I see little, little notes and, and, and pictures of Jesus and whatnot. Um, and it just reminds me of the, the religious beliefs that, uh, they have that, you know, being gay isn't, uh, ordained by God, not to use that phrase again, or that being gay, um, is a sin. Uh, and, and so for me, it's, um, you know, low key traumatizing every time I go there, trying to enjoy the holidays, wanting to belong, wanting to, to be a part of the family, but also at the same time, um, knowing that they don't want this part of me being gay to be a part of that. And, and, and whether it's said explicitly or, or not explicitly, it's still there. And, and for people, many people like me, um, they feel that. And, and for people of color who are mixed families, um, it, it's, it's also the same feelings of, you know, this being a predominantly white holiday, um, and, and a celebration of basically white dominance and, and white colonialization. Um, so I do want to lift that up and say that, you know, Thanksgiving and, 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 and the holidays can be traumatizing and that, um, if you, if you want to be an ally or if you want to help, um, indigenous people, LGBTQ people and people of color, um, really apply a social justice sort of framework to the holidays, you know, have a Friendsgiving, invite people that maybe don't have, uh, you know, um, a home to go to or people that, you know, might not have the best experience with their families and during the holidays. Um, and also, you know, educate yourself and, and on, on the history of Thanksgiving and, and the holidays. Um, so that's my topic of the week that is near and dear to my heart. Um, so thank you. I will close it now because I've gone way over time. Thank you for listening to The Muse. Uh, and, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And uh, tune in next week for the next episode. Thank you and have a good day.